Welcome to the Ellis Martin Report. During this broadcast, you will learn of potential investment opportunities involving publicly traded companies. These companies have paid us for exposure on this program. We ask that before you consider any possible investment choice, do your own research. You can begin the research process by visiting our website, ellismartinreport.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Steve Cope is the CEO and Director of Silver Viper Minerals. Trending on the TSX Venture Exchange is VIPR. Silver Viper Minerals is a Canadian-based junior mineral exploration company with an exciting silver, gold, and base metal exploration project in Mexico. The company's directors and management include industry professionals with a consistent track record of identifying and advancing successful mineral exploration projects. Steve, welcome back to the program. Tell us what's happening in Sonora State, just north of Hermosillo with the La Virginia project. Well, like I said, we made a discovery at, at the end of our first phase of drilling on one of our exploration targets during that first phase. The exciting hit was 13.3 meters of 6.42 grams gold equivalent, and that was split about half and half between gold and silver. We put five holes into that target. All five holes hit the zone, and we also hit a couple of parallel zones. That hit and, and that discovery got the market excited, saw some action on our stock, and now we're excited to go back and follow up on that success. That's a nice wide swath of ground there. Good consistent grade. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, this area had never been sampled in the past by mine finders of Pan American. There was, I mean, the terrain was tough to get into and there was some land access agreements. So from the time they had it to when we got the project, one landowner had accumulated the whole package and was keen to do a land access agreement. So it's kind of nice. We're sitting in this project where there was a lot of past success on some other target, but we've got this whole brand new valley north of that success area that we've been able to come in and I mean it had never been sampled it had never been drilled we already made one discovery and we're looking to make a bunch more I've been up in the Sierra Madre Mountains there of western Mexico and often it's accessible by vehicle by truck by car sometimes and then with other issues helicopter is the best way to get to the property give us a layout of the infrastructure over there we've got roads throughout most of the project. We can certainly drive right to camp. This part of the project, what we do is we drive to a staging ground and then hike in. And that's what the drillers have been doing every shift when they're working. It's a good hike, but at this time, that's kind of what's left it there to be discovered as well, is that this area, it is tough work. You got I mean, the drillers are hiking in an hour and a half each way to get to the rig. We have used helicopter to bring the rig in, but it's kind of a one-day cost, and then that's it. Once we're on the target, it's, you know, a two-kilometer-long mesa makes up what El Ruby is, and once you're there, they can, the man-portable rig, they can move it from site, but it has been more cost-benefit to bring the rig in via helicopter. This is typical for an exploration and development play. What's your plan for the company over the next six months, one year, two years? Well, we're going to resume our second phase of drilling, which will start off at around 3,000 to 5,000 meters. But with success, that we'll just keep drilling. We've identified through sampling. We've seen, you know, that there's size potential for where discovery is, but we've also identified numerous other untested targets in that same valley. We've got the the Ruby East target really lights up in soils. Macho Libre looks good, which is about a kilometer south and in line with El Ruby. And then we've got our El Ruby North target, which is about two kilometers north of, of where the discovery was. Our latest batch that we actually just put out on Thursday, we were starting to see some other anomalous results further north and east from some of those anomalies that we need to go back and tighten up the soil spacing on and follow up on and then get our senior geologist to go down and look and see what's happening on the ground in those areas but it just keeps growing we're identifying more and more targets and as we're moving north it seems to be looking better and better 
from where the work was done in the past. And we've got another target even further north called Ligoria that we're treating like a porphyry target. And as we're getting closer and closer to that with the sampling, it's getting us more and more excited as well. Now, of course, this area was previously operated in the past by Pan American Silver. Are they waiting for you to develop the property? Who's the potential JV or takeout candidate down the road? Or I guess maybe it's too early to even have that discussion. I'm just curious. Normally, I would say it's too early to have those discussions, but I know that there are numerous majors that have picked up the phone and reached out to us on that discovery and gotten excited about the potential in the area. They're familiar with that part of Mexico and like that terrain. It has a bit of a lookalike to the mine that Pan American bought off Mine Finders, and that was the Dolores mine. And I think what a lot of people are seeing is just how Dolores started before they went deeper and found, you know, the big bulk underground deposit that's still in operation today. But so no, it's not too early. I mean, the fact that we're kind of half and half gold and silver, we haven't closed ourselves off to any of the producers. The silver producers are interested, as are the gold producers. Tell us about the share structure and the share price, if you don't mind, before we close. Well, this this was an IPO done two years ago. We haven't done a raise yet, so we've got 42 million shares outstanding currently. That hasn't changed. We'll probably do a raise at some point this year, but I don't want to do it below the IPO price, which was done at 25 cents. So there's not a lot of resistance to that price. And then if we get to that point, I might do a small raise later this year. But we currently have a million and a half in the bank and more than enough to do the next phase of drilling. Well, Steve, it's always great to speak with you. Thank you so much for joining me today on the program. I look forward to updates when you have them. Thanks, Ellis. It's always a pleasure. I've been speaking with Steve Cope, CEO and Director of Silver Viper Mineral, trading of the TSX Venture Exchange's VIPR. Join me now for a conversation with Christopher Anderson, President and CEO of Ekman Mining Corp. Trading as XIM on the TSX Venture Exchange, in the U.S. as XXMMF, and in Frankfurt as 1XMA. Today, we're going to discuss the company's 100% interest in the Brett Gold Project a potential multi-million dollar ounce play in one of the largest gold-bearing epithermal systems in beautiful southern British Columbia. With similar geology to the Republic Gold District in Washington, this is an advanced system with multiple high-grade targets. Chris, welcome to the program. If you don't mind, give our listeners an overview of your company. We own three assets in the southern British Columbia. They're all in the precious metal space. We own them all 100%. Two of our assets have been optioned out to two other public companies. So we get some stock and cash payments on an annual basis on those projects. And we also have a right to earn back in on them. And then we have our main project, which is the Brett Project, which is an epithermal project near Vernon, B.C., It's had over 180 diamond drill holes drilled on it. It's had a bulk sample completed on it. It's got a 1,500-foot drift done in it. We've just recently opened up the portal and plan to go in there and do some underground drilling. We're chasing a parallel structure in there with the best hole that was drilled in there so far has been 4.3 ounces over 1.3 meters. So we own all the projects 100%. We got some money in the bank. There's another project we've been looking at for several years and the opportunities come across our desk. So we've made some overtures to try and acquire that. That's called the Kenville Project near Nelson. It's one of the first gold mines in southern BC. And it was staked and set up in 1888. They've done quite a bit of drilling in there after 2012. It's not in the 43101 that's published on the property. It's a brand new vein system in there that looks quite interesting. I've gone up there at several meetings with the groups over the years and been in on surface and underground. 
it's all Crown Grant. They own all the property. They got three-phase power right in there with the transformers are in there. It's pretty advanced, ready for some advanced work. We just announced that recently as well. So that's kind of where we're sitting at the moment. So I've taken a look at that Kenville project. It looks pretty impressive. Is there a mill in the area? I can't recall. There's not a mill on the property, but there is mills in the area. There's a mill down in Greenwood. There's a mill at the Kinross facility across the border at Buckhorn. We would be interested to see if we could utilize the mill in Greenwood if that became possible. And then there's other mills in the area, obviously. Those are the two likeliest candidates. So if and when you make this acquisition, you're not really too concerned about milling the gold. It's a likelihood. How advanced are the talks? I mean, we're talking about something that hasn't happened yet, but you must be very encouraged by what you've seen. Yeah, I'm very encouraged on what I've seen on Kenville. I mean, I'm also very encouraged on what we see on Brett, but I think Kenville's much more advanced than the Brett at the moment. The project, like I mentioned earlier, had it on the radar for several years now. It is an exciting opportunity to get a handle on if we can do that. So far, everybody seems to be cooperating in a favorable manner. The stars seem to be aligning. So I'm hoping that we can close a deal on it, but we didn't build the company on that. We built it on the Brett, so this is an extra bonus, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing if we can actually complete, and if we do, all the better. I think we'd really be adding some shareholder value for us. Okay, so the Brett project right now will be an exploration and development project and would be potentially for quite some time. But if you acquire the Kenville project, that could eventually lead to production sooner than later. So is your company ready for that? I think that we've been adding members to the team that have been working with us that have experience in that avenue. We've been working very closely with miners, run a lot of projects in southern BC. You know, if you go on our website, you'll see Al Beat and Alex McPherson. One of the other gentlemen that we're excited about working with is Lloyd Penner, another gentleman that's been very familiar with the Kenville project and worked with Al Beaton, one of our other projects, which is called Treasure Mountain. They worked and did all the underground development there. We've got guys around us that have experience in underground mining, which is a kind of a rarity. We would like to say that we would be successful at that transformation, provided we get the opportunity to do so. We're certainly hoping that that opportunity becomes available to us. And your market has actually performed well, hasn't it? During the last few years, as you know, the retail market has gone sideways for the miners and gone into bitcoins and marijuana and so forth. So late October, early November, we started at the Munich show in Germany and we started marketing in Europe. We're listed on the OTCQX as well in the United States. So we've been doing most of our marketing over in Europe. They were a little more amenable to investing in resource stocks and gold stocks. When I was at the Munich show, I went to the San Francisco show first. You could bowl through the alleys. There was a few industry people there. And then I went over to the Munich show and it was a whole different scene. All the booths that were selling actual bars, gold and silver were packed. And the crowds over there were very enthusiastic about the resource space. They didn't get into the marijuana or the Bitcoin space like they did over here in North America. So there was some room for retail investors to take a look at some of the mining stocks and they still believe in the gold space. We've been doing most of our efforts over there and they seem to have panned out pretty well so far. I've been to Nelson, although it's been a very long time. Give us an overview of what that area is like for those in our audience that haven't been to that part of the world. It's a fantastic country. It was historically built on gold mining. It was the beginning of the gold market in British Columbia. It is a beautiful region. And the, the Kenville project is just situated perfect. I mean, for trucking out, we can go right out from the property right over the mountain on the Solomon Highway down to the any one of the mills, either the Greenwood Mill or to the Buckhorn Mill or wherever other mill we find. We got good access out of the site. It is a mining community. There's the Kenville there has had lots of community. The community's been heavily advised of what's going on there over the years and for the most part been fairly supportive. Doesn't seem to be any issues. The Greenwood area as well is that we're working in is a phenomenal area. I mean, 
mean, that whole camp down there is everything's completely staked. I mean, last year or beginning of this year, there's been a couple of holes put out on that gold drop property that were phenomenal. Mining World, I think, rated them the seventh best gold holes drilled in the world. You know, we had 7.3 meters of over four ounces. Another interesting element down there in the Greenwood area is that we've been hitting some phenomenal grades in trellium. So we've gotten over 800 grams trellium over seven meters as well. Trellium, an interesting space. It's used in the new cadmium trellium solar panels. At one point, the price of trellium, which was triple as it was now, 2011, was $380 a pound, I think it was, in 2011, somewhere in that neighborhood. The cadmium solar panel market is growing exponentially, and this is just a nice little bonus. We kind of fell into it with the drilling down there. But that Greenwood area is very well-known, prolific gold mining camp. Our project out at Treasure Mountain, we're right adjacent to the Nicola mine that Al Beaton, who's on our advisory board, was the mine manager, and Lloyd Penner, who's intimately familiar with the Kenville, was working with Al, and they did all the underground development at Treasure since its inception. I've been in the area working there for probably 14 years, so we know it quite well. One of the things I like about Southern BC is, you know, we can drive to Tim Hortons and be out at the property. We've got access, power on all of these locations and good infrastructure. At Treasure Mountain, we're 35 clicks away from Copper Mountain. See, we don't have to hire a helicopter. We're in Canada. I understand the mining rules here. We're familiar with all the inspectors. We're familiar with the legalities of working in Canada. So it makes it a little easier for us. Back in around 2014, I was personally out looking around Peru and Mexico, United States, and made a decision that, you know, we should focus on high-grade assets in Canada and safe jurisdictions where we had a little bit of stability and we could build some infrastructure based around synergies that we could create operating in a region. So that's what Exxon's done. It's built kind of a joint venture model, you might say, where we've used our technical expertise and our long knowledge of Southern British Columbia to assemble some pretty good key assets and to spin those assets out to option partners so they could help us advance those projects and at the same time stabilize Exxon. We've paid off all our bills so we're like debt-free and we own all our assets it's 100% and then we can focus on our Brett, which is a very exciting project. One of the first times it's been owned 100% in a junior and coming into a good bull market here and it's an excellent property for advancement and now that Kenville has come up, so I think the market is appreciating that effort that we've put in there now. So we started marketing in November and things seem to be going well so far. Let's talk about the share structure. It looks inviting actually. We've got 32 million shares out. I think I'm probably still in the largest shareholder. I got about 4 million shares or so personally in my name. And then we've got close associates, friends, and family that own fairly large positions. So I think the stock is relatively well-structured and well-held. We've had a whole series of 18 cent, 25 cent, 30 cent, and 50 cent warrant money that's been coming in over the last quarter since January. And with the stock seem to take that. And we've ran up to 84 cents there and we had a bunch of warrants come in and we ran up north of 30 there and we got hit with a bunch of 25 cent warrants, brought it back down. We seem to continue to climb back up. We've hit 80 here last week, I think. It seems to be marching forward. We want to get back out in the field. Hopefully this year we could see drilling on all our projects. Chris, it's always a great pleasure to speak with you. Thanks so much for joining me today in the program. Thank you very much, Ellis, for your time and doing this interview. I appreciate it. I've been speaking with Christopher Anderson, President and CEO of Exman Mining Corp. Trading as XIM on the TSX Venture Exchange, in the U.S. as XXMMF, and in Frankfurt as 1XMA. Find more information on the company by going to xminminingcorp.com. Xmin is spelled X-I-M-E-N. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Jordan Trimble, the president and CEO of Rockridge Resources, trading as ROCK on the TSX Venture Exchange. Rockridge Resources is a new public mineral exploration company 
focused on the acquisition, exploration, and development of mineral resource properties in Canada, specifically copper and battery metal projects. The company's flagship project is the Knife Lake Project, located in Saskatchewan, which is ranked as one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. Jordan, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. You've got copper, you have zinc, you have silver, and a little gold, I understand, in Saskatchewan. Let's talk about Rock Ridge Resources. The first project that we've acquired and the flagship project for the company is a polymetallic historical resource. That the project's called Knife Lake, and, and there is a historical deposit there, uh, which I'll get into. The primary metal is copper, and this is a new company. It IPO'd last year. It's a new story. It is a copper and base metal company with project in Canada. What we did with this company coming out of the gates here is we took a top-down approach, and we recognize that there's an opportunity specifically in copper Going forward, we think that the commodity, the metal price is going to have a good three to five years in front of us. And there's a number of reasons, both on the demand side and the supply side for that. But specifically for Rockridge as an exploration and discovery story, we want to go into good jurisdictions like Canada, North America, jurisdictions that are brownfield jurisdictions. So they've had a long history of mining and exploration development in the area, the prolific mining jurisdictions jurisdictions in favorable areas. We want to go in and we want to make those new higher grade discoveries, particularly again with copper and base metal. So that's what we went out set to do here with Rockridge. We just announced first project acquisition late last year, Knife Lake, as I mentioned, and we've just commenced our first diamond drill program of a thousand meters on the project. Just announced that a couple days ago. That's the latest news on the company. So this is not exactly moose pasture then, Jordan. No, it's not. It's in the broader Flin Flon camp, Flin Flon being a well-known mining town in Manitoba. The project that we've acquired is northwest of Flin Flon in Saskatchewan. But the Flin Flon mining camp is well-known for VMS deposits, high-grade and larger VMS deposits. There's been a long history of mining in the camp, about 31 deposits that have been mined, over 170 million tons of sulfide ore. And it's important to note, too, because this is quite topical right now in the industry. The timeline to production, something to note here in Flin Flon that over 50% of deposits have been advanced to production and the average time frame from discovery to development is typically less than seven years. So that's an important point too. You have great infrastructure in the area. Over a billion six has been invested towards mine development with rail power and water infrastructure to facilitate not just development of deposits, but also new discoveries. And that's really what we're in the business of. So again, as I alluded to earlier, our overarching strategy with Rockridge is to go into these brownfields jurisdictions with a new look, with new exploration techniques and methodologies and go into projects that may have been overlooked, but have strong exploration discovery upside potential and go in there and look to create value through the discovery process. Now, copper we're excited about because it has poly-industrial use. There's so many different applications of copper, it's never not going to be an industrial metal. Correct. You know, as I said, when we looked at the metal and building this company as a copper company, as a new copper company, there were a few things that stood out to us. One is you pointed out industrial application of copper and copper over many years, mined copper for thousands of years. Everyone knows what copper is and what it's used for, but it's really in the last 20 years been tied to global economic growth, in particular, the China narrative, right? And it will continue to trade like that. That's been a big source of demand for copper 
has come from China and has come from the developing world as you see new middle classes being formed. But what's interesting going forward, and one of the things we highlight to investors is new demand for copper that's coming online from electric vehicles and clean or green energy. If you look at electric vehicles in particular, they use about three and a half times as much copper as a regular internal combustion engine vehicle. And we just see this trend continuing and growth in demand continuing for copper. So it's really the electrification narrative that we're interested in and that we see being that additional demand growth that's going to drive higher copper prices. And we want to be a part of that. Now, when you look at the supply side, the supply side is quite interesting because yes, there are some copper is a big metal market and there's very large copper mines out there. But if you look at the last 15 or 20 years, and in particular, if you look at recent discoveries or lack thereof, there really hasn't been any major high-grade large copper discovery deposit in the last 15 years in favorable jurisdictions. And so us and our team as explorationists and as an exploration company, we're out there looking for that next big copper discovery in a good jurisdiction. And that's what we're hoping to do here in Saskatchewan and looking at other projects, not just in Saskatchewan but in the broader Flin Flon jurisdiction. You just announced that you're commencing a diamond drill program at the Knife Lake Copper VMS Project in Saskatchewan. Let's talk about that and the excitement based around it, potentially. Absolutely. So had a chance to see the news. As I mentioned, this is our first diamond drill program on the project, on our flagship Knife Lake project. Just a quick history of the project and overview of the project I think is important first. As I mentioned, this project really fits the bill for us. Again, it's in a well-known mining jurisdiction. It's been overlooked really for the last 20 years. It's got quite an interesting history. Discovery, the deposit there was discovered in the late 1960s. It's a topographic high, so it stuck out like a sore thumb. They went in, they made the discovery. They spent the next really 30 years, various operators of the project delineating a shallow, within 100 meters, deposit at this topographic high. And so the focus was really just kind of one-dimensional. They didn't do a lot of regional work. They didn't look much deeper than 100 meters. And so they really just scratched the surface. Now, the historical resource there, it's non-NI43-101, but it's nonetheless a resource of about 11 million tons grading, 0.75% copper, and it also has a cobalt silver and zinc credit as well. So what we're looking to do on this project, because it did not have a lot of work after 2001, and the reason for that is simple. It was in a company that basically went under in 2001 as we went through one of the worst metal markets ever. The company had a cease trade order uh, against it. So essentially, this project was just orphaned for the better part of the 2000s before winding up in a gold company, whereby the gold company was focused on gold projects, not on copper or base metal projects. And so again, this project basically sat there on the back burner and was simply over looked. It was a bizarre situation a few years ago where the company that owned this project simply did not file the paperwork to renew the mining lease. And as a result of that, these claims opened up. And that's how we were able to get a deal done to have an option to earn in 100% on this project. Uh, and we've just announced that again several months ago. So that's the history on the project. And that's important because what we see now is an opportunity to go into a project that had a fair bit of historical work but it was limited to one area on the project and relatively shallow. And it was all work done before 2001. So you 
using outdated exploration techniques, equipment, and methodology. And so we are now going back into this project with a new look, with new techniques, and some new thinking, and we think that we can uncover, make more discoveries, not just around the historical resource where we're drilling right now or below it, but also in the region. It's an 85,000 hectare project. We have a big property package. And I'll note just on the geology, I don't want to get into too much detail, but as a VMS deposit, you typically never find them in isolation. They usually come in clusters. And in particular, the Knife Lake deposit is a remobilized VMS deposit, which means it's come from a primary source. That primary source has not been found yet. And that's one of the things we would like to find on this project, as well as potentially finding satellite deposits or clusters of deposits nearby. So we can use new techniques, new exploration methods to go and do that. And that's what we're starting to do here with this first drill program, followed by a summer exploration program. So lots of news flow coming up over the next six months. Jordan, tell us about the share structure of this company. You're currently trading near 26 cents Canadian, which is about 21 U.S. Yeah, the share structure is one of the highlight talking points right now. Given it's a new company, recently IPO'd, it's very well structured. There's about 25 million shares issued and outstanding. We just closed a financing, oversubscribed financing for $730,000. That will cover all of our exploration budget and drilling budget this year. And that puts the treasury just under $2 million. Canadian, so well-funded with again, about 25 million shares issued and outstanding. The public float within that is much smaller. So it's worth noting management and insiders own a large portion of that. And we have some other larger shareholders and blocks that are out there and some institutional investors as well. So very well-structured and getting to the management team. I think it's worth noting because this is one of the most important ingredients for success with these companies. We've been assembling a team. There's been some notable additions in the last several months, one of which is Ron Natalitsky, who's a Canadian Mining Hall of Famer. He's credited with discovering SK Creek in BC, as well as the SNP deposit and Brewery Creek, a very, very well-known exploration geologist in the industry and has had a lot of success. He's come on as a strategic advisor and a large shareholder of the company. And then just more recently announced the appointment of Joe Gallucci as a director of the company. He's come on and Joe was an investment banker. He was a principal of a firm, 8 Capital, where he led their mining investment banking for several years. He is very knowledgeable when it comes to base metal companies in Canada. He knows this area, this VMS jurisdiction very well. He's raised over a billion dollars for Canadian mining companies through his career. So he's an important addition to the team. And he rounds out the team with myself, Jim Pettit, a director of the company and several others on the board. And so we're building a team to run the company that have focused expertise in base metal, copper and base metal exploration and development in Canada. I've been speaking with Jordan Trimble, the president and CEO of Rockridge Resources, trading as ROCK on the TSX Venture Exchange. For more information on Rockridge Resources, go to the company's website, rockridgeresourcesltd.com. I'm Ellis Martin. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Jerome Jabour, CEO and Director of Matinas Biopharma. 
trading as MTNB on the New York Stock Exchange. Martinez Biopharma is a clinical stage biopharmaceutical company focused on enabling the delivery of life-changing medicines using its lipid nanocrystal LNC platform technology. Jerry, welcome back to the program. For new listeners that are hearing the Matina story for the first time, why don't you give us an overview? Sure. And Alice, quite a lot has changed since our last conversation. And I believe that was in August of last year at a time when we were less than a $50 million market cap company and our stock was trading at about 41 cents. And today we sit here at just above $150 million and a share price of $1.09. So certainly from a financial perspective, we made a lot of progress. But let me kind of expand on Matinas and what we do. And essentially, the last time we spoke, we were primarily focused on a delivery platform technology, a disruptive technology that allows us to take a variety of molecules, including some of the most toxic anti-infective medicines today, and deliver them in an oral and safe fashion. And we've expanded the utilization of that platform now to include molecules in the gene therapy area, which has attracted a lot of interest from big pharma. But really... Our world changed early in the fall, a little bit over a month after you and I spoke. Our legacy asset, which is a prescription omega-3 called MAT9001, was thrust back into the forefront. That is the asset upon which Matinas was founded. And because of some data that was announced from a competitive product, which for the first time with an omega-3 demonstrated the ability to generate what are called outcomes data, or the ability on top of something called a statin, which is used to lower cholesterol, this particular omega-3 showed that it could reduce incidences of things like heart attack and stroke by about 25%. And that really brought a lot of attention back on this legacy asset and a lot of investment interest because at the end of the day, we have something no other omega-3 has and that's head-to-head data against that competitive product. And this really sets us up to now being able to develop two best-in-class assets, a prescription omega-3, which I'll dive into, and then we continue to advance our LNC platform technology with the help of the National Institute of health and now interest and evaluations and collaborations from Big Pharma. Jerry, you mentioned the platform technology. Does that mean you will be licensing it out potentially to other companies down the road? The very, very good question, Ellis. And right now we're focused on creating value internally. So our lead product there is MAT2203, which is an antifungal drug. That's being pushed towards a potential pivotal trial funded virtually completely by the National Institutes of Health. But yes, we believe this platform technology could position us to become a royalty aggregator. It lends itself to becoming the ideal technology for licensing to big pharma. When you think about some of the most innovative areas of medicine today, you can't help but think about the gene therapy space, whether we're talking about messenger RNA, small interfering RNA, antisense, you know, the who's who of companies who are developing exciting technologies in this area command huge valuations, but they all share one central problem, and that's delivery. How do you protect this genetic material from the body and then deliver it in such a way inside a cell so that you're not generating an unintended immune response or toxicity? And that's where our LNC platform comes in play. We did in January announce our first evaluation with a global top 10 pharma company in the gene therapy space. And we believe that's just the beginning for us to be able to exploit this technology and become a valuable solution for a number of companies. Now, I'm really interested in this. So I hope you don't mind the question when you're developing gene therapy like that or gene technology, is that specific to the patient? 
So a lot of this goes towards personalized medicine, but that's not exactly what we're talking about here. Although what science has been able to do over the last 15 to 20 years is map genes in your body and understand how they can manipulate or change genetic material in order to impact or affect a therapeutic result. In other words, how do we use biology to replace chemistry and get a medical outcome? And so what we're focused on is not designing these gene sequences or being able to come up with that combination of, let's say, DNA or RNA, which can be used to impact that therapeutic result, our job is to protect it and help these companies deliver it. So in some ways, it is becoming more personalized, but this is still applications of gene therapies that can be used on a mass basis. Let's get back to MAT 9001, a prescription-only omega-3. Now, the words I just said are unique, prescription-only omega-3. Why prescription? That's really important. Not only are we talking about high-purity omega-3, three in high doses. What we're talking about omega-3s, which have actually gone through clinical trials, which can be differentiated and distinguished from anything you can get over-the-counter. Anything available at a Walgreens or a GNC, not only do you not understand how those products are manufactured, there's no regulatory oversight, there's no oversight over manufacturing quality, and they've never gone into studies in patients to demonstrate the impact it can have on cardiovascular health. With our prescription omega-3, you're talking about a purposefully designed drug, taking the best of the omega-3s and designing a drug to actually have the greatest impact on cardiovascular health. And we do that by focusing on making the most bioavailable drug and the most efficacious drug. And it's really the combination of those two concepts that allow you to position our potential drug, we think, to be a best-in-class drug in a multi-billion dollar market. And I'm not stuttering because it is multi-billion dollar. Now that we have a prescription omega-3, which has demonstrated the ability to get an outcome benefit from patients, and this was a study done in 8,000 patients, we now believe omega-3s could be positioned to be the next statin class. So in other words, they can have an impact on millions of patients' lives and change whether or not they're going to experience things like heart attack and stroke, and with a medicine, unlike the statins, that is essentially like a placebo from an adverse event perspective. There is little toxicity, little, really no toxicity with omega-3s. It's a naturally occurring substance, and none of the adverse events you see with any other cardiovascular medicine. And so the parallels are there for the way the statin market developed, where the early drugs established outcomes data for the class, and then the best Better profile drugs, the more potent, more bioavailable drugs, which came along later, became the preferred choice for physicians and patients. And there's no better example of that than Lipitor, which was a later to emerge statin. It did not have outcomes data at the time was approved, but it had a better profile. And obviously Lipitor went on during its time to become the biggest selling drug in the world, selling more than $12 billion a year. Here are the parallels for how we see the omega-3 world evolving are very similar. We have a competitive drug called Vasipa, 
first establishing outcomes data. We have a second omega-3 in the hands of a big company called AstraZeneca in its own 13,000 patient outcome trial with data due in 2020. And the key opinion leaders that we've attracted to work with us sat on the steering committee for each of those big trials and have all come out publicly and said that the data we've generated to date already indicates that we could have a better product and we could be positioned to be the best in class product in this space. Jerry, you've been able to raise $30 million within the last few months based on the market and based on the research that has come about with regard to Matt 9001. Let's talk about how you were able to raise the money and what you intend on doing with it. It's a great question, Ellis. And really, it's true. Money changes everything. And it's as true in biotech as anything else. But there are some precursors which came before that. And so it wasn't just about this data happening in the omega-3 space that allowed us to raise that substantial amount of money. We first put together a world-class scientific advisory board. Then we added key pieces to our management team. We added a chief development officer with a background from Novartis and NPS and Shire. We added a CFO with experience as VP and treasurer at a company called PAR, which he was part of the team that sold that company for $8 billion in 2015. And then the final piece of the puzzle before we were ready to go out and raise the money was adding a chief medical officer. And we were fortunate enough to attract Dr. Terry Ferguson, who left Amgen to come to Matinas and help run this program. And he joined the company on February 25th. It was at that point where we felt we had answers to the questions that the smart money asks. And so we went out and did a one-week roadshow, and we raised this $30 million really in less than a week. And we did that being led by some of the highest quality healthcare institutions in the world. And I'll mention one of them because they've made a filing with the SEC, but the financing was essentially led by Vivo Capital. Vivo Capital is in Palo Alto and have a track record for making winning bets in the healthcare space. I believe they have about $3 billion under management. That is the ilk and quality of the investors that now understand our plan, believe in this team and its ability to execute on our strategy and get MAT 9001 into position to become that best-in-class drug. And that's without even tapping the value or potential associated with the LNC technology. So we're really sitting here today now armed with more than $40 million in cash. It gives our cash runway and extension well into 2021. We have the right team. We have the right products. And now we're free to focus on the science and drive value. And from where we sit today as a $150 million market cap company, I will tell you that the company over which our data was demonstrated superior is valued at $6 billion today. So we're just getting started in the value creation. It's the right time for investors to pay attention to what we're doing. We're fully funded and we feel great about our future. It sounds like there's a marketing job ahead of you and and how do you plan to address that? I do believe there's some fundamental misperception. I actually came from the company that developed and launched the first prescription omega-3 called Lovazin. We launched that drug in 2005 and by 2009, that was a billion dollar drug. So we undertook a lot of physician education at that time about the benefits of prescription omega-3s. That's only continued with Ameren and Vasipa leading the way now in demonstrating that not all omega-3s are the same and that theirs can have an impact on cardiovascular outcomes. Their education process of working with physicians and the analysts right now are predicting that that drug becomes north
worth of a $5 billion drug. And remember, we're positioned to be a best-in-class drug. Then you have AstraZeneca behind it with its muscle, also in the outcomes trial, also in the process of educating physicians. And that's really where our having Dr. Ferguson, who came from Amgen and AstraZeneca, is a lifetime cardiologist, was just down at ACC meeting with all of the KOLs and doctors. I sat in the room at AHA when the omega-3 data was announced. There was probably 2,500 people in the room and applause broke out across the board. If you look at the history and trajectory of any cardiovascular medicine, it does take time to change physician prescribing behavior. But that's why our development program is designed to allow time for these competitive companies to essentially plow the road and then for us to continue to develop data, continue to educate payers and physicians, and then arrive with a best-in-class drug when this market really has expanded into a multi-billion dollar category. So the perfect storm of circumstances is there. Education is not our job alone, and there's a lot of big pharma pushing the envelope on educating physicians on the benefit of prescription omega-3 as opposed to anything you can do by walking into a pharmacy, which is essentially nothing. You're not going to accomplish really anything other than very, very minor impact on anything to do with cardiovascular health by taking a supplement. These prescription drugs were designed to solve the problem, were studied in large groups of patients, and now physicians are beginning to understand the impact it can have on their patients as well. With Big Pharma knocking at your door, give us an idea of what the company might look like in a year, two years, five years. Will we see a Matinas Biopharma in five years or will it be some other entity? Who knows what the future holds, Ellis, but I'll tell you this. We are intent on creating value right now. All I can say is yes, we have been in discussions both on MAT9001 and of course on the LNC platform with some of the biggest companies in the world. For MAT9001, the greatest value to be created is in our hands. It's too early to do something with that asset. But could I see that asset becoming the apple of a big pharma's eye who's looking for a product to plug into its already existing cardiovascular sales force that's positioned to be a best-in-class drug in a billion-dollar market? Absolutely. Is that today? Is that six months from now? Is it a year from now? It's certainly not today, but all bets are off as to exactly when the right time will be our job is to create value and data. We know the interest is there. We're holding them off for the time being. And on the platform side, we very much look forward to partnering with Big Pharma. The business model there really is to create strategic verticals in a number of different therapeutic categories where our responsibility really is developing formulations and then handing off the development risk, the financial risk, and the manufacturing risk to our big pharma partners. Are we gonna be here two years from now? I don't know, but if we've done our job, we will be too valuable for people not to want and for big pharma not to come after very aggressively. So let's talk about the rest of the year, six or seven months. What can we expect to see coming up for 2019, early 2020? It's always why now, right? That's the question that any investor is gonna ask. And so the key piece of that was that we're financially de-risked. So that was big. I think in the near term, what you're going to see is you're going to see us hopefully bring to fruition one or more of these additional collaborations on the platform side. We're eager to 
to show the market that there is multiple, there are multiple parties interested in utilizing our technology there. Our goal is to be able to announce one or more of those again by the end of the year. We already have one under our belt. For MAT 9001, it's about driving this product back into patients. And so we'll have another study in patients begin in the second half of this year. And then what everyone is looking forward to is the start of an additional head-to-head study against Vesipa, which is that $6 billion competitive product that we've already beaten once head-to-head. We will start that study. If it's not the end of this year, it'll be the beginning of next year, and we'll have data very, very quickly thereafter. It's not a long study. So for now, it is driving value in the platform. It is ensuring that we are advancing MAT 9001 back into patients and taking advantage of some of the market drift. The competitive product is due to get a label expansion. There's likely to be a lot more interest in omega-3s. And as you can imagine, myself and my team will be everywhere, whether it's investor conferences, scientific meetings, talking about the data we've already generated and helping more people become familiar with Matinas because for right now, we remain an unknown quantity. And even having said that, Jerry, with a stock trading just over a dollar now, you can attract more interest, especially since you've de-risked. That's the goal. We actually think, and if you look at the analysts that cover us today, you know, their 12-month target is right around $5. So when you think about how much we've de-risked the company financially, it's really set to take off. We're on the cusp of being added to things like the Russell 3000. We'll have to see how that goes. That obviously brings a lot more institutional buying into the stock, but there's certainly, Matinas is on the short list of companies that people are very excited about from a biotech perspective in 2019. Jerry, I thank you very much for the update. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks for joining me today in the program. Ellis, thanks so much. A warm thank you to your listeners for joining, and we look forward to speaking to you again in the future and updating you on our progress. I've been speaking with Jerome Jabor, CEO and Director of Matinas Biopharma, trading as MTNB on the New York Stock Exchange. Find them at matinasbiopharma.com. I'm Ellis Martin. You've just heard opinion, commentary, and dissertation involving publicly traded companies seeking your potential investment. They paid us for the proof. Invest at your own risk and only after doing extensive research. Find our sponsors and listen to segments of this program again on our website, ellismartinreport.com.